You're listening to Vince Tracy and Neil Coble. It's Europe Calling. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Europe Calling. So I'm tempted to say a very good day, but it's not a very good day. In fact, it's a bit on the cold side. It's grey. We've had rain. It's spitting. The wind is there. Uh, need the heating on, which is most unusual at this time of the year for this part of Spain. Let's get in the car, go over the mountains for about one hour. Uh, and uh, we should find Neil ready and waiting uh, up there in Polyp. So hello to you, Neil. And uh, first of all, how are you and what's your weather like? I'm dithering. <laughs> it's freezing up here. What's going on? It's yeah. March. I'm yeah. normally in shorts and flip flops. Yes. It certainly is different. Oh, sorry, it's April, isn't it now? Eh? It's April. Yes, of course it is. And it should be on beach. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you. Um, I prefer the way we have the heat. I, I'm looking forward to getting a bit back. Apparently tomorrow it will start to improve. Although uh, I was sitting at my desk the other night and um, suddenly I got a message from the bank of all places with, a, with an app that tells you that there's a meteorological alert. So apparently, you know, uh, we, we knew there was bad weather coming, but I didn't see it coming. I must be honest, it was uh, not very nice. Anyway, let let me just find our first talking point. Uh, here we go. And this one is actually hot off the press because they're talking about um, panic at the airports in the UK. And it could be like this for months on end, apparently. And then I read further into the headline, passenger demand has soared in recent weeks after all COVID restrictions, including testing and self-isolation requirements, were lifted in England. Budget airline EasyJet has cancelled more than 220 flights, blaming this disruption on high levels of staff sickness due to COVID. At least 222 flights have been axed since Friday, including 62 scheduled for Monday alone. Some travellers were jumping over barriers and abandoning their luggage in a desperate attempt to skip the queues at Manchester today. Uh, this is Nikki Kelvin, the head of travel website Points Guy UK. While others missed their flights altogether, the chaos is the result of a combination of a sudden surge in passenger numbers with many Britons taking their first foreign holiday since the COVID pandemic began and low staffing numbers at airports which have not hired extra manpower following years of low demand uh, first of all have you seen those um scenes this morning at the airport Absolutely. yeah i get granada reports on on telly um listen manchester airport must be the worst airport in uk i mean i'm from manchester and i've always flown out of manchester it's an absolute disgrace don't tell me you don't know that everybody's going to want to get away for Easter. You know what I mean? Who's, who's planning all this lot? And they say, they keep putting it down to COVID, but a lot of them left when we were shut down. Or they got rid of them when they were shut down. And then none of them have come back. Some probably found, found other jobs somewhere else or whatever. But honestly, I was there four weeks ago, and I, we were lucky. We'd, we'd got that priority booking or whatever it's called, and your seat and all that stuff and fast track and we were lucky we just got there but after once we'd gone upstairs having a coffee people were coming through oh you the queuing outside at door you know right up near, near up to car park so, so we started putting you know zigzags in so people can queue up before they even get to security so it was bad well and truly before today then by the sound of things wasn't it exactly it, it, uh, manchester it, honestly, we we, flew, we had to fly in from uh, fly into Liverpool to UK. Not a not an absolute problem. Got off the plane, watch inside the thing. There they all are. There you go. Shows your your passenger locator or whatever it was or something, and straight out the door. Manchester, you've got to walk for like two and a half miles. 
before you even get to, you know, security and your passport thing in that, you know, your eyeball connection and all that. Now, Manchester, supposed to be the second biggest in, in country, and it's an absolute disgrace. I've got to say, my suspicion really is that what they're after is they, they want to reduce air travel. And I think, quite honestly, they've tried all sorts of things. Obviously, the, the COVID uh, thing, the management of that was one thing. They've had Brexit. Um, and I think they, they, they're really sort of the climate change activist thing and uh, the, the, the gas and the oil and the petrol and all that sort of thing comes into it. Uh, it's almost as if it's another thing that um, could be managed differently and yet they obviously um, at some important point are deciding maybe not to do things that they should be doing. Um, that's my suspicion. The other thing is, Manchester Airport is only interested in one thing, that's profit. I thought that every, well, before Brexit and all that lot, that every airport had to have at least a 15-minute drop-off and pick-up point. Manchester have been charging you £5 for 10 minutes for, well, six, seven years. Manchester is the, after all the profits, and I think they've cut the staff down, at bare minimum, and the minute they get a rush, oh, well, hang on, we're, we're going to have a problem here. So people are, are, are missing their holidays and missing the flights. Do they get compensated for that? I don't know. Same as Liverpool. Liverpool is uh, pretty expensive to just even drop your people off. It's uh, sort of, you know, a, a constant uh, worry. But that, that sort of endorses what I'm thinking. It would be one way to try and inconvenience people and put them off flying because obviously if it's going to cost and it's a hassle then you know there will be a number that'll say I'll blow this I'll may as well stay at home and en- and enjoy whatever we've got in Britain um, or yeah. other countries you know well that, I mean I can't see that because people want a bit of sun I mean we've lived in UK for years right you know <laughs> you might get one really good summer and then the rest you forget it you know what I mean it, You've, people want to go and spend their hard-earned cash on getting a bit of sun and going and enjoying themselves for two weeks a year, and, and airports can't even cope with it. It's a nonsense. Well, I agree with you. That That's, uh, you know, what people want. But I just have the feeling that this is part of a global management, which whether or not, uh, you know, we know exactly what's um, happening and people are trying to make us believe one thing vis-a-vis another. I mean, we were talking, weren't we, about the price of the petrol going up when really what's it got to do with um, Ukraine? You know, I mean, there's lots of different factors which make you do feel um, really there's something a bit bigger going on. I'll I'll move to another one then, so let's see where we go with the next one. Okay, this one's about a British gas lawyer and uh, she's won a sex discrimination case after she was made redundant and um, when her female bosses decided she'd been less focused since going part-time after having triplets. Now, this uh, lady, Gemma Long, uh, was an international, uh, an intellectual, sorry, property specialist and was let go from the energy supplier after her managers, who were also lawyers, put pressure on her to, to work on her days off. Mrs. Long had been working part time ever since giving birth to her three children and was criticised for her focus despite covering two people's roles while only doing three days a week she will now receive compensation after it was revealed uh, that the ruling was the redundancy process was discriminatory as her personal circumstances as a mother of young children was unconsciously being held against her the tribunal uh, this was held in Reading in Berkshire heard that Mrs Long was an experienced solicitor who started working 
campaign for the energy giant as their intellectual property council in January 2012. In May 2016, she went on maternity leave and gave birth to triplets. The tribunal heard uh, one of her sons had significant additional needs. Okay, it's a bit of a strange one, especially for us to sort of comment on. But, I mean, there's more to that, isn't there? Well, of course there is. When can we have our paternity leave? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We couldn't. We couldn't have it when we had our kids. Can we? Can we drag it back now? Can we have ours now? It you would be I mean? would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> It'd be lovely. Yeah. Marvelous. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something in that, and uh, I mean, it, it, all the others are lawyers and and uh, female, and they're telling her like, "Oh, you need to shape yourself." But I mean, three. Triplets, I mean, one kid at a time, an handful, three of them, good God. Exactly. But I think they're obviously uh, sort of messing about with the wrong lady because uh, if she is a, a lawyer, she would know straight away a few contacts that were, were going to say, well, hang on, you know, let's be honest about this she, and, and go to the law. Um, as you say, if you've got uh, triplets, so then of course you're going to lose a bit of focus. I mean, one kid's... A handful, two kids, uh, certainly a lot. Uh, three kids, uh, a bit of a nightmare. And I should imagine, if she's a lawyer, I would imagine she's got people helping with the uh, the maintenance of the children. Anyway, exactly. Yeah, with money there, huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's look at another sort of tribunal case. Th- these are hot off the press, and I thought, well, we'll we'll may as well stick them in because it's something that uh, it will be interesting to see whether these things actually do go a little bit further. Here's the next one. Now, this is a head midwife. And she was sacked after she referred to overweight women as bloaters and whales on a bed. This is the Employment Tribunal uh, has heard this. Bully uh, Jennifer Stillman created an awful atmosphere on the ward at Basildon Trust University Hospital as she also made derogatory comments about her fellow staff. The panel uh, also learned that she was accused of making a racist comment, but later claimed she said back and not black. Student midwives almost felt driven to leave the profession after working under her, with one being reduced to tears, the panel heard. Okay, well, we've all met uh, ladies like that in hospitals, haven't we? Oh, yes, yeah. That's a remember? (laughs) The matron, I she do. kept them all in check, didn't she? She certainly yeah, I did. Mean, she, you know, you're not going to be five stone, are you, and, and look like Twiggy and having a baby. You know, uh, you, you tend to put a bit of uh, poundage on front because you've got a baby inside you. You know, I <laughs> think... she's saying, listen, you look like a beach whale on that bed. Well, I will do, I'm having a baby. You know what I mean? But, I mean, if you, if you look at um, a number of people that obviously come to the place that we are near, Benidorm, uh, you can see quite clearly that there's a lot of overweight people. So you can imagine probably that there's a little bit of this in the background. And then, I don't know about you, but there's an advert that comes on pretty regularly, and it's for uh, sanitary products, which basically, you know, uh, is not the best of adverts, but... It seems to come on when you're eating, and it's a, a very overweight girl that happens to be good at gymnastics. Um, it's almost like there's there's a culture of I'm overweight, but I'm proud these days. Whereas really, uh, the ad the, the advice to most people would be, you know, just keep an eye on your weight because you're not going to be able to do things if you get sort of too many problems weight related. Um, I mean, have you noticed that in the adverts and some of the ways that... Um... Yeah, well, the, the, no, they're putting on sizes, So I think it's somewhere like 18 to 30. And I don't mean their age, I mean the size, you know. I mean, I hadn't seen a lot of obesity growing up, you know, obviously, because we didn't... We had properly, like, you know, there are all these fast food things. Yeah. But when I went to America, when I went to Las Vegas, I'd never seen women as big in my life. And I mean, they were monstrous. 
two stools to sit on to play a gaming machine and stuff like that. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. Well, no, it's spreading all over all over the world. You know, even these young uns, young kids, you can see them, they're really obese. You know, well, somebody needs to get a grip of this somewhere along the line because it's not healthy. You know, it, you get that, you get diabetes and, and all the other problems. You get your joints and all that if, you, if you're carrying a load of weight, you know. It's um, it's very confusing, really, because it's these mixed messages all the time. Um, it, it's almost like the, the minute you can try and give sensible advice and um, sometimes necessary criticism... Uh, yet then the woke brigade immediately come back in and they'll give you a stack of reasons why you shouldn't say anything at all. But, I mean, really, it's one of the basics, isn't it, to take care of your health and your own um, food input. And when you look at... I mean, sometimes you you just sit and, like you were saying in in Las Vegas, I can remember going to Disneyland in California, or is it Disney World, which one or the other, and um, basically sitting down... And just looking at these people and thinking, my God, how can you get so big? And how then can you let yourself you get to that size, yeah. I'm with you all the way on that one. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the, the best question in the world that men don't want to hear or women don't want to hear the truthful answer: Does my bum look big in this? <laughs> well, please don't ask me the question if you want me to give you the answer you want to hear. You know what I mean? It's like it's like 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 lighting a, a bit of dynamite, isn't it? Yeah. When they ask you questions like that. Does this make me look fat? Mm. Uh, well, uh, well. Uh, well, again, I mean, if you if you look at these um, adverts that they have for um, actually going and getting implants. Now, I, I don't know about you, but there's nothing. Uh, attractive to me slightly in a massive backside. I mean, really, it's one of these things where really to pay money to make yourself become deformed is just bonkers. I don't understand that one. I really don't. I don't, I don't get it. But that, that them bum implants were them Kardashians, wasn't it, that started all that off? Yeah. You know, well, I mean... I, that... I, don't, I don't find that attractive one bit. You know, I think, having, you know, like two big balloons stuck down your trousers. And then if, if for example, I mean, this uh, particular lady that we're, we were talking about, uh, the bully, as they described her, um, okay, she was described by others further down as not being an oil painting. But, I mean, two wrongs don't make a right. And uh, the thing is, I suppose if you go back to the article, if she feels like we are talking generally about it. There are times when you have to start being very careful about what language you use because you don't want to upset people. But now and again, if you don't say anything, you're as bad as the problem, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Nobody's going to get any better if if you don't say, you will, you know, know, as I say, do you think I look fat in this? Well, hang on a minute. You have got a mirror, I'm your own. You know, check it out yourself. Well, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed uh, that there are certain ladies who basically have very, very wide hips, shall we say. You know, I mean, you've heard the expression childbearing. Yeah, but but it seems more than that with some of them. It's almost like it's a shape. And you wonder whether is the shape just because you're sitting and eating an awful lot or is it that, you know, basically it's not somebody's fault that they get that big? I, I mean... Obviously, the jury would be out until you know the the actual case and you know the person cons- themselves. But I mean, th- there are far more girls jogging around the streets than I've ever known in my lifetime these days. Far more girls go to the gym and they do work at keeping fit, don't they? Well, I, w- I would imagine so, but I don't see many women jogging around here. I see them walking and that. But I mean, even that's good good for you. Uh-huh. Any exercise is good for you. Yeah, you know anything. To try and you know to try and you know make yourself healthy, but you know it's it's one of them. But going back to the to the story of a midwife, I think you know you're stepping out of order there, aren't you? When yeah, even even your own staff are going, whoa, hang on a minute, yeah. you know what I mean? 
you know, there's a time and a place when this is not the time or the place when people, you know, are having babies and God knows what. Yeah, because basically, you know, it is a it's it's a huge part of life and it's a huge part. Uh, it must be very, very worrying for um, any lady that goes into hospital to have a baby. So the least you can do is actually just maybe keep your opinions to yourself whilst, um, oh, yeah. you know, in that situation. Especially being, being as I hope as she is. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, you, you get people, you know, two younger and sniggering to each other, but they won't be shouting it out in front of a woman and all that. Okay. If she's at, at a midwife section and she's the one who's blasting it out, well, she deserves to be, you know, chastised. Okay, right. So uh, where will we go? Yeah, here we go. Here's the next one. Now, we've talked about these types of people before and we're looking at a protester from an organisation calling themselves Just Stop Oil. And this guy is, uh, I'll give you his surname, McGovern, and he's a 22-year-old, I think it was. Um, and he glued himself to a radio microphone whilst he was live on air um, when he went into a guy called Tom Swarbrick on LBC's Westminster studio. And um, this was 11.40am, uh, I think it was the day before yesterday. And the... Um, the protester was saying that the station was not using its massive platform to inform P listeners of the dangers of the climate crisis. He said that he pulled the stump because people need to be aware. I think everybody's aware. I don't know about um, the way you know you're talking with people, Neil, but for me, uh, I would say that most people are aware. But I think a lot of people are more aware of the fact that there's not really an awful lot that people can do about it um, because it's cyclical and that um, really maybe there are certain adjustments we can all make. But if you look at the map of the world and you look at the UK, I think there's a bit of a delusion going on there that um, the UK can influence it that much. What do you think? Exactly. I mean, the UK is this big, all the rest of the world is massive. I think it's a con myself. Yeah, I, I honestly think it's a con, because if if, if you did that, they'd fetch this as, a, as we've talked about before. Everybody's sending rockets up to the moon, and this and what, what, what's ever happened to this ozone layer? They were going to be be a big hole in the middle at world, uh, at top at world, and everything had overeaten. We'd all you know, we'd all die and combust, and God knows what. That was thirty years ago, you know. Make sure you, your fridge door shut, and this, that, and the other. Don't let the carbon out or whatever it was. But no, all these millionaires and billionaires are getting a rocket and going, going having a look around space and this, that and the other. And, and him talking about oil, you can't live without oil because every bit of machinery's got to have some form of oil on it. You know, they, they make me laugh, these, you know, these herbs that keep coming on and probably don't know anything about it. It's like them that sit down in the middle of M25 and say, insulate, insulate. Well, I insulate my house. But I don't allow them go and insulate their own and then, you know, help somebody else but do this. Well, I really think it's a complete and utter con, this. Well, I, I think so as well, um, because um, when you look at the, the, the main perpetrators of uh, any sort of um, climate, if you like, involvement, I mean, you've got uh, countries like China, you've got countries like um, India, uh, in, America, India, Russia, yeah. all of them. And, yeah, and then all the, all, the, all the big all the big boys they don't care. And then you've got you know what's going on at the moment in Ukraine. We don't hear one iota about um, maybe the pollution that's coming from that. Then you've got all these uh, uh, volcanoes all around the globe that is going off every five minutes. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it's almost as though uh, it's another thing. Somebody has sat down and thought, right, we can we can pin people down on this because again, I. I I think it's all tied into these electric cars because I think it's pretty obvious that they can make like life difficult with oil. And so, you know, every now and again, you've got a, a war somewhere. And so the prices go up and you can maybe 
cut the number of cars down a little bit. But I think really, I think they're having a really good push on things with this electric car nonsense because, uh, quite frankly, um, I think we all know that you're going to still dig coal to run the, 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 the power stations, even if we've got nuclear power um, and the wind and, and the other things. I mean, by all means, I think it's good that uh, you have clean-type uh, fuel if possible. But, you know... I. I I think I think the cars. I think that there's a little bit more than there's a bit more sinister stuff going on behind the scenes for me. It's just another way to tax everybody even more, and you can have absolutely clean coal now, and they've had it for years. You could have clean coal. What does that yeah. actually mean, Neil? Do you know? Well, it means it doesn't throw any of the. It, it, it goes through a, a process, you know, and then it comes out, and then when you're burning it on your fires or, you, you know, the, the, these big workplaces, it doesn't throw up the, whatever it is, carbon emissions or something. Right. But they, they've had that. Well, there's they, still one going through that they're trying to reopen. Is it in Devon or Cornwall or somewhere? Right, OK. And they've said, well, we'll show you. You know, you come and, and, and measure it. It's not going to bother them in India and, and Russia and China and, and all them places that are, you know, they're just pumping all kinds out. And and, and these, you know, all these, these rockets that are going up and God knows what. And nobody's going to go and live on moon. Nobody's going to go and live on Mars. Nobody's <laughs> going. So why, why are we bothering with it? It makes me laugh. There's more money thrown at that than God, God knows anything. And it's all these countries. They all, it's like a race to them. We'll keep taxing people. More and more and more, so we can be first in the race to Mars, or we'll be first in the race to Saturn, or wherever it is. It, it's just a form of tax taxing you. And as far as you know, I've worked with batteries all my life. As far as these electric cars, that's not happening. It's not going to happen in 30 years because there's no infrastructure for it. And don't forget, they're saying, oh, electric prices are going up, and they, well, wait till everybody wants to be plugging in all over the world, to an electric car. Yeah. The world will explode, never mind anything else. Well, um, I've seen a number of places that they've shown photographs of people trying to get rid of the electric batteries, and apparently they cannot get rid of them. They don't decompose, you know, in a healthy way. Yeah, it's lithium, and lithium is poisonous. Yeah. Don't you... Hang on, they were worried about having a, a bit of lead. In paint years ago, yeah, you know, and you get lead acid batteries. But with lead acid batteries, you can you can re send them, and they get renewed. You know, you just take all the plates out. They go into um, uh, the furnace, they pour it back out, and it comes back out the battery. You know, yeah. So they don't, you know. But th- these lithium batteries, you know, that's why you can't you can't have them now on these um, on these cap things going up. Uh, is it Everest, biggest one? Right. Right. Because what was happening is when they were having these, when these batteries run out, they were just throwing them down in snow. And when, when it came warm and all these, you know, were defunct, they started leaking and it went into the water system. Wow. Well, yeah, I remember reading about yeah. this actually. Right. And they were poisoning the people down below. Yeah. So now you've got to have some other form of, uh, you know, a, a, cap, a cap lamp. Do, do you see anything uh, sinister with the way that um, I, it, it crosses my mind? If you remember on the east coast of America, they had a huge storm and then it blacked out all the electricity. And I'm thinking if, you know, if these uh, this control freaks who are obviously trying to r- run us all into the ground by those things, um, if they can get everybody moving towards electric cars eventually, then there will come a day shortly. Um, well, certainly won't be in our time, uh, but there will come a day when surely they must be able to throw a switch and everybody can't move. You know, they uh, you see it in the bank. You see it in the bank. Uh, the, the, you know, the minute that uh, you can st- stop the computer operating, um, you've got control over everything, haven't you? Yeah, one big switch, turn everybody's power off. You can't do anything. I mean, you only have to look. If Facebook goes down for an hour, there's, there's kids that are suicidal. Oh, my Facebook's gone off. Or oh, just just turn your modem thing off or whatever it's called, right? 
kids are upstairs. If you can't, if they won't listen to you and all that, and you want to get their attention, all you've got to do is turn more of them off and they'll come running down. Yes. Well, well Facebook's gone up. But you see, they're trapping everybody in, as you're saying about the airports before. All these cars, the maximum you can get out of these cars is, is I think it's 240 to 300 max. If I want to go for a week's holiday to Portugal, it would take me, I'd, I'd only have one day there. Yeah. Because I've got to keep finding places that I can charge up on my way down, which takes 24 hours. So what's the point in going, one, I'm, I'm going for a week's holiday into Portugal, but I can only have one day there because I've got to get back and keep charging my car up <laughs> on the way back. <laughs> okay, let's, um, let's find you the next one. So uh, we're looking at the industrial action by Spanish lorry drivers now, disrupting the supply of salad vegetables and soft fruits, including tomatoes, peppers and lettuce, into Britain. It comes as the UK's biggest cooking oil bottler has also warned it's just a few weeks' supply of sunflower oil left as the Russian invasion of Ukraine is disrupting exports. It's left manufacture of foods that contain sunflower oil found in hundreds of products, including crisps, oven chips and cereal bars, desperately searching for alternative ingredients. Shortages have already seen prices for rapeseed oil rise 50% to 70%, with businesses likely having to pass the price on to consumers if a downturn doesn't arrive soon. Okay, so let's look at that first of all. I think we all expected to see the sunflower oil um, becoming a problem because obviously uh, Ukraine was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, producers of sunflower oil in the world. Um, What about the rest, though? Because um, it's almost like a gain. Suddenly, we're looking at problems incurred from Spanish lorry drivers disrupting supplies to Britain. Does that yeah. strike you as being a bit strange or what? Well, that, it's very strange to me, that is. But, I mean, don't forget, some some uh, sunflowers don't come out in the middle of winter. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's all been chopped down and, and processed uh, in summer. So, you see, that, that's another one. They keep putting this thing. Oh, well, it's going up uh, petrol, 20, 20 pence a, a litre or whatever. Hang on a minute. It's not long ago that they were they were telling you, please come and check some of this oil. You can have it for nothing. We'll pay you get get rid of it. You know, but nothing will ever come down in price, even when it's all back back to running normal. But they've got tons and tons of it. You know, as I say, sunflowers don't come out in winter. It's all been done, ready for you know for for uh, end of summer. Mm. Gallons and gallons and gallons of it. So it should be the same price until they can't get any more. Yeah, that's in, it's interesting that. Uh, yeah. I, you know, as you say, most of the stock should already be there. So again, is it sort of just waiting and making a few extra bob or is there a real shortage? I suppose, you know... Exactly. Remember years ago, they, they said somewhere in Caribbean... Um, Sugar beet. Oh, uh, they think it might fail this year. The sugar beet. Within six hours, Tesco's and all them, all the all the other thingies, Aldi's and God knows what, Morrison's. Everybody were going getting boxfuls of of two pound bags of sugar to fill the garage up because there might there might be a shortage of sugar cane. (laughs) Hang on a minute. The, The stock should be full from what they were before but everybody's trying to make the money back from doing nothing during them lockdowns Mm. and somebody only has to mention it and everybody goes berserk I I suppose another way of looking at it as well is that um, you know these type of products are they really vital I mean in the respect of money of course the vital but in, in the respect of health products they're not really what you'd call the healthy foods that you know people might like to talk about well, as they're saying about the stopping, like uh, these lorry drivers in Spain are stopping salads, salad foods, 
to get to UK. Well, that's all right. Don't produce them yet, because nobody will want them in this weather. We're not going to go and sit outside, are we, today, and, as we have done for the last three weeks, and go and get a salad off for the last three, four months, you know. You, you don't buy all the, all the salad ingredients during winter when it's snowing and freezing cold and all that, do you? Nobody wants to eat a salad there then. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting, that, because, as I say, it wasn't really the way I'd looked at it. And um, if you've got people basically uh, sitting on... Well, I would imagine that, that it's probably not quite as near the war zone anyway, is it? No. I mean... It... <laughs> it makes me laugh. Oh, Russia—they're one of our main suppliers, and so are Ukraine. We've never—we've never heard that before. You're not telling me there's only them countries. If you look at people uh, bagging things in the sun in France and Italy and all that, you see—you see these sunflowers forever. Yeah, they just keep going and going and going. Yeah. So uh, what's the Spanish drivers got to do with it? Yeah, um, it is interesting, this Spanish driver's strike, because um, it's almost like there's, obviously, everybody's struggling, and suddenly the Spanish lorry drivers want to go on strike. Well, I'm afraid international communism is what spreads springs quickly to my mind, because really, I would have thought everybody would be really pleased to have a job at the moment. I don't know about whether or not I'm just maybe oversimplifying things but you know it, it's a it's a very worthwhile job to be doing they do do a, a big job i know that one or two of them are trying to sort of make sure that they can get the pensions correct for when they retire but i would have thought they'd be more concerned about keeping the job at the moment you know the way things are exactly you know you, you've got to go without you've got to go without i mean i went on strike once for uh for nine weeks, when, when I had two little ones, you know, my, my two were only tiny, I think six and, and one or something like that. And uh, But it weren't over pay. Well, it were, it were over a penny, really. But it weren't the penny that was the problem. It was the job security for people. They weren't guaranteeing, uh, you know, like we, we had a guarantee on, on jobs. And when somebody left, somebody had come in. And when somebody left and somebody had come in, it were all that. And, and talking about pension people, I've just seen today, just before we came on air, you know, this Angela Rayner, the deputy uh, deputy leader at Labour Party, yeah, uh, screaming she, she's from a council estate and this, that, and the other. This year she earned eighty-four thousand, yeah, two hundred and forty thousand in expenses. Oh. That were a wage is eighty-two thousand. Yeah, two hundred and forty thousand expenses and two hundred and twenty thousand of the Labour Party and somebody else and she's she's trying to come you know oh, I'm from a council house and this that and the other well you won't be with them type of wages will you and that's what I'm saying they've all got them dismantled in the trough <laughs> they should be how can you have a job at 82,000 and then be charging 240,000 expenses hmm. uh, well you know the working class can kiss my backside. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've yeah, got yeah. a foreman's job at last, you know. Pecking at, at, at Tories and, and, you know, and all that. But hang on a minute, have a look at your own, you know, your, your own pay circle. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. OK, let me find you something that is slightly related to that. Here we go. You're listening to Vince Tracy and Neil Coble. It's your calling. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Europe Cooler. Okay, this is um, a headline that's actually in today's paper. People come, people go. BBC dismisses brain drain of top talent as Dan Walker joins Emily Maitlis, Andrew Marr, John Sopel and Louise Minchin ditching the broadcaster for its rivals. Uh, Insiders said there was always natural point where people move on. Uh, Walker said yesterday he was joining Channel 5 to be the lead anchor on 5 News. He walks away from 200 
195,000 uh, a year role at the BBC after six years. The BBC Breakfast host follows uh, those people that we talked about. And um, the they, BBC then dismissed the brain drain of top talent, um, you know, just as people come, people go. I mean, they are a law unto themselves, the BBC, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Well, the, the other thing with Dan Walker, I think why, why he's thrown his, uh, thrown his dummy, he, I, I liked him. He did football focus for years. And then when all this new I come out about, well, we need more women um, presenters and this, that and the other, right? The next year, they, they dropped him off football focus to put a woman in. Now, I mean, you've still got to pay her the same money as him. But he's been doing it for years, the anchor man, and you know. But I've not seen Gary Lineker's, uh, you know, uh, being moved on and a woman putting in. So why would you, you know? So now I think Channel Five is going to be edit news and something else, but doing other things apparently that he likes to do, you know, yeah. sport and golf and this, that, and the other. And I think he's very good. He comes over really well. Yeah, I, I, I do as well, by the way. But, I mean, yeah. the, the general thing that I'm getting at is looking at the money that uh, the BBC actually pays those type of broadcasters, you know, because I can remember um, when I'd be sort of trying my best just to get into the BBC. <laughs> and, um, you, you know, you'd always get these um, sort of officials who basically, they, they didn't know really what life seems to be like for ordinary people. And I remember, what? you know, I, I'd, I'd get letters like, uh, I should know more than other people. Of course, I should do because I was involved in the place. Um, that, that there's no money available. There is money available. There always has been and there always will be. You know, yeah. they, 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 they have money coming in from the government. It's how they distribute it, isn't it? And, and the, the TV licences. That, that should have been scrapped years ago. Because... BBC, with anti-Beeb, as it were called, everybody loved it, and this, that, and the other. Um, we we don't have any advertising. And then you put telly on on sport, and it says, oh, it's uh, the Carlsberg League. Oh, it's such as Benson and Edge's cricket, or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are more adverts on BBC, but in the headlines of, of, of what the, you were watching. But, the, I mean, pensioners, they should have paid for a TV licence. Do me a favour. Nah. They, they paid for it until they got to 65. And, and now they're fetching it, you know, they, they, they're not, you know, later, but they'll keep paying these, as you say, these uh, presenters fortunes and keep charging people. It's ridiculous, that, that you should have a TV licence now. I, I think also they, they've made their own bed and, and uh, with statements like people come, people go, that really shows you that, yes, there will always be other good perform um, presenters, so therefore you don't need to be paying these huge salaries to just a few people who join this exclusive club and can drift from one place to the other. Uh, you know, other people will fill the, fill the boots, won't they? Exactly. If, if you're getting rid of somebody that's on 280,000, you're not going to replace them with somebody on 290,000, are you? Because they're coming up, they're coming up through the things, so them, them are on a lesser, lesser, you know, lesser wage, aren't they? Till, they? till they prove themselves, and then your wages go up, the, the more knowledge you get, the, the better you are at your job. And that's how it works. We'll stay, with, we'll stay with the BBC, because I've got another little story related to them. Let me just move it around. Okay, this one is the BBC, uh, again, just quoting from something, uh, reminding our listeners that we look for things that tend to get overlooked in the media. The BBC is making hundreds of thousands of pounds from magazines that come with plastic toys. This is despite signing up to the net zero green agenda. Immediate media, which produces BBC publications including Country File, Good Food, CBeebies magazine, uh, has admitted that cover-mounted toys help the corporation earn an extra £300,000 a year. 
A sustainability report issued last May disclosed that the BBC receives a 3.5% royalty from every copy of its CBBS magazine, but warns the titles would be likely to close if the front cover freebies were axed. Uh, somebody writing from Hereford, it just goes to show the BBC will do anything to get money, including BBC children in need for the way they give out that money. Well, you have to have a good reason. I hope in the near future that the time will come when we will not have to pay the TV licence for sub-graded TV programmes. I'm within that all the way. What do you think about the uh, this idea that you've got to get, give away a little uh, sort of plastic thing, you know, to just get people interested in your magazine? Yeah, no. If, if it's not worth reading, there's no point in giving a little little toy away because you, so what are you going to do? Give the kid a toy and then throw a magazine in bin because you know it's a load of rubbish that's going to be put in it. Well, I, well, I think the other thing is, of course, that you know you've got to also uh, look at the way they're practicing, but not uh, what they preach. You know, at the end of the day, if you're going to put lots of programs out, and we've seen a lot of these where they're telling us all we've not to use plastic and quite understandably because i think that does make sense let's find the other types of things that will uh, become biodegradable but you can't then put your magazines out and tell everybody else something differently when it comes to them selling the magazines can you exactly the the magazine will come in a a plastic wrapping with with the little toy inside a plastic wrapping in a plastic wrapping you know, <laughs> you, we need to use less plastic. But buy a magazine, it's, it's sealed in a plastic covering yeah. and the, the toys in a plastic bag inside the plastic that you sealed. OK. Yeah. R- That's good. Right, we'll move away from BBC. Let me find you the next one. Okay, this one caught my eye, and it's a former Taliban torturer that was in the papers, and he's won the right to stay in the UK over fears he would be tortured himself if he was sent back to Afghanistan. The Home Office uh, accepted that deporting him to his home country would place him at real risk of torture and could breach his human rights. He's an ex-intelligence commander, been recruited to the Taliban as a child soldier in the 1990s. The unnamed man, who says he's 42, ordered waterboarding, sleep deprivation and whipping to extract information from uh, prisoners while in charge of 300 men. He climbed the ranks after volunteering for the front lines of the brutal Battle of Kabul in 1995 during Afghanistan's civil war. And he first came to Britain in 2006 and tried to claim asylum but was rejected and deported within months. So what's that all about? Yeah, so now we can't because of his human rights. I've told you about that. They make me laugh, these lot. It's all these do-gooders, right? I mean, he's been torturing everybody, probably killing other people as well, and and yet we can't send him because he might be in, he might be in danger. Well, send him back and find out, you know. I've got to going to be in danger. They I, make me laugh. I've got to say, um, I mean, the UK must be viewed by these terrorists and other organisations and people that live in other parts of the world. They must be reviled by people who can't stand people that torture. I mean, you know, if you've got somebody... It sounds like he's in the country illegally anyway, doesn't it? Exactly. So he come over as an illegal, he applied for asylum, he didn't get it, they sent him back, but now he's killed a few people and tortured them and this, that and the other, and he sneaked back in. And now, next minute, we can't deport him because his, his life might be in danger. Where does that come from? He shouldn't be there anyway in the first place. What's he doing back in the UK? Send him back. And it's not the first time that you'll read something like that. I mean, that's it's something that you see all the time. And then they'll just be sort of, I won't say remorseful, because we can't really tell from anything that we've read there. But, I mean, you'll see that maybe they'll show a slight bit of remorse while the hearing's on. 
and then within a couple of years they've committed a murder or something in the UK which then gets swept under the carpet you know yeah do, I mean them type of people does a leopard ever change its spots no don't think so no uh, uh, we, we, UK must be the softest country in the world yeah. uh, honestly and that, that's because there's that many do-gooders and walks about it's a, it, they're ridiculous I mean, you've got your judges that are doing nothing about anything, you know, where they give them a life sentence, as we've, we've said before, and it's like, oh, hang on a minute. Uh, but it only means 10 years or 14 years or something like that. You know, it, it, they must go, listen, if we're going to do out bad, go to UK, all these people, they're there to help us, and, they'll, you know, they can't send us back because our lives will be in danger. Do me a favour, get them sent back. Yeah. Okay, we've got time, I think, for a couple more, so let's go to uh, this one. Okay, so hundreds of spectators gathered under sunny skies along the River Thames in London for the annual university boat race. The weather forecasters, of course, predicted a fine Sunday following a noticeably chilly start to April. Olympic rowing gold medalist James Cracknell and Sir Matthew Pinson were pictured arriving ahead of the clash following a frosty night across the country, which saw average recordings of minus four degrees Celsius. Don't fancy that. In the women's race, the first of the day, Oxford got off to an early lead, but Cambridge emerged victorious after they quickly closed the gap as the boats passed the first bend in Fulham. They ended up beating Oxford by more than two lengths and in record time, clocking 18 minutes and 22 seconds. Um, then uh, this, I see, it was insane. It was fast. It was emotion all in one go. I'm completely overwhelmed, the Cox Jasper Parish added. They raced really well and pushed us right to the end. I'm so proud of what we've done. The men's rowing teams began their contest at 3.23 and saw Oxford ultimately emerge as winners. Oxford rower Tobias Schroeder. He told the BBC, a lot of years trying, a lot of years failing. I'm just so proud of what we did here. Um, what do you reckon to this boat race thing? I that- watched it. I watched it. I didn't see no sunshine, by the way. <laughs> Not one little crack in the sky, nothing. Everybody were there. They looked like they, be, they were stood in a fridge. They've got overcoat, scarves, hats, all sorts. Right? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how it started, but it was from Oxford and Cambridge and this, that and the other. But, but what's the point? Well, I mean, they could really open it up, couldn't they? They could really have a competition around yeah, all yeah. the the it's country. Wide enough, we'll get about six teams in, right? Let's let's Manchester University, uh, Bristol University, any uh, Scotland University, right? Let's see how good you are. You know, two teams every time. It, it, oh, do us a favour, will you? But isn't it funny? You it, don't get them in Salford, do you? No, you, you know, do. Well, uh, you... the 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 the. the, the um, council estate from Salford is checking on the council estate from Swinton and Pendlebury. Right, and we're going to go on the ship canal, Manchester ship canal, and it'll be a gorgeous sunny day, which you, you're not going to get anyway at this time of year, and we'll see who wins then. Half of them wouldn't know how to pick a, a, an oar up, never mind roll with it. You know what I mean? Uh, look, it's, it's, a, it's a, just a tough thing, isn't it? Well, so it is. Wonderful yeah. day out, darling. I must admit, I feel that way because, you know, you think by now that some bright spark must have thought, well, OK, at the very least we can do is put a team up against um, the winners, you know, yeah, or yeah, or yeah. maybe make the whole competition open and Oxford and Cambridge have to qualify because if, if that good, um, then obviously, you know, we look at the Olympics and the, the yeah. knock-on effect and all that sort of thing. Yes, but you can see up and down various waterways that you've got people that do like rowing because I know it, it it can be very very difficult and you know it 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 is a, an extreme way of keeping fit as well but why not open it up to other people that's my point you know exactly. 
you, you've got to qualify for Olympics and Europeans and this, that, and the other. Well, listen, if they're good enough, they'll end up in final. Oxford and Cambridge, and that's fine, but at least somebody else has had a chance. You oh. know what I mean? It's like the FA Cup. They have non-league teams playing, yeah, and some do very well, and and, and it's the you know it makes them you know massive amounts of money. That know, makes it. They, but with that game, but what's it what's it about? Yeah. Okay, let's go to our last one. Here we go. Right. Okay, gulls now are considered to be urban creatures after new data revealed an estimated three quarters live in cities and towns across the UK. A report from Natural England found that herring gulls are nesting in built-up environments and highlights the potential for more human and bird conflict in the future. In Bath, they've been swooping on children and making some parts of the city uncomfortable to live in. With their constant screeching, said one councillor, Tim Ball from Bath and North East Somerset Council said that the eggs could only be removed in extreme circumstances. We've had gulls in Bath swooping on children. The councillor said the creatures are constantly screeching in the early hours and put people off living in certain areas of the city. Um, the director for wildlife, he was writing a blog, David Slater, said the councils could take action if the birds are causing sleep deprivation or attacking vulnerable people. And this year there was a pilot which will be expanded to include more areas to kill or cull. However, the leader of Gloucester City Council, Richard Cook, said they will not take part because there's too much paperwork involved. It's too extensive in terms of resources to make it viable for council to spend that kind of effort dealing with one gull when you've got between 4,000 and 8,000 in the city, he said. Woo! Okay. Uh, Seagulls. See what I mean? Yeah. It's absolute nonsense. These gulls, the the, the reason there's more and more of them is because they're nicking everybody's food. Yeah. You know, and if you don't cull them, what what, what, what about all the droppings? You know, the probably poisonous to kids and stuff like that, or they'll make you and this, that. So, but, I mean, uh, so they'll still pay for wagons to go and, and, and sweep up all this gold muck, yeah? But, but I lo- won't call them because uh, there's too much paperwork. No, just say we need 100 of them getting rid of. A lot and of... Take the egg, and take the eggs away, right? And it will keep them down for a bit. And then you're all right. You're not bad with a few, but the more and more you've heard, you've heard them screech when you're in Cornwall. Well, look. You know, when you lived in Cornwall. I Go think, yeah, part of the problem has got to be, if you've got uh, gulls nesting on the cliffs where they normally will be, and you start putting buildings right into their territory and making it so that, you know, they've got nowhere to really feel protected, um, then obviously you're going to get a, a crossover between them and us. And I've got to say, after watching the, the Gulls, they are fantastic parents. I mean, talk about defend their chicks. Um, yeah, OK. Um, I, I think some of the problem is of our own making. Yeah, but you wouldn't like 100 on your roof, would you, Vince? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I agree with that. But then again, you see, where we live, for example, um, there was, there's a good argument that they really encroached right too close to the cliffs. You know, if you, if you don't... Yeah. Oh, I get, I get that. You know, the, the, the council will let people uh, move their houses near the cliffs and then they'll start moaning that the, the, the goals, you know, are making a noise. It's the council that's making the money for all these houses and, and buildings to be built up to, you know, up onto cliffs. Yes. I get that. Yes. And, and believe me, if a gull decides it doesn't like you, it you're, certainly... You're, you're in for it. Yeah, I, I know... You're uh, down that, you're trying to peck your head and stuff like that. Oof, yeah. Especially if one of their chicks is down on the floor, um, you yeah. look up, you'll find about six, all keeping nicks on, uh, tabs on everybody to make sure nobody goes near it. Exactly. Okay, well, I found you something a little less controversial towards the end of our podcast today, just to lighten the load. Right, come on then. Can't no, wait. No, no, that, that was it. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. Well, that'll do, yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, we've got some big football matches coming up between Man City and Liverpool. Ooh, yeah. So, a hey, hey, listen, whichever way, it'll be good for football. Two great teams. Let's yeah. hope that um, that the match doesn't have any silly uh, things happening in it, you know, like um, yeah. controversial sendings off or anything like that. Oh, yeah, Brilliant. Yeah, I think there's 10 games to go after we've played this weekend, and so it's not really a title. No. I mean, no. look at that last night again. Yeah. Uh, Crystal Palace against Arsenal. Arsenal could have gone fourth. Yeah. Crystal Palace uh, turned them over easy. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the, the thing that I've got against uh, that I'm worried about is that Liverpool have only won once in the last 10 years, uh, last 10 visits to Etihad. Now, you know as well as I know his sport, it's got to change one day. <laughs> but I hope it's not this, this Sunday. And I know that you want it to be, let it be this Sunday. Yeah. All right, Neil, we'll leave it there. Whichever way it goes, best of luck yeah, and we'll talk next week. We'll still be together next week. No exactly. Problem. Thanks, Neil. See you later. Look after yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.